0: Into the Cougar tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Lauren McLean.
1: What's up, my friends? Lauren McLean here with Cleon Wall, and we're doing what we do best, talking all things BYU Cougars. Here's what's coming up on the show today. Men's basketball takes a crack at the running Youths in Provo, and we chat with former head coach Steve Cleland about his experience with the rivalry and what it takes to come away with the dub. Plus, in honor of BYU football playing its 40th bowl game, We'll discuss some of the best game-changing plays in the Cougars' bowl history. Our list includes plays by Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Kyle Van Noy, and more. But first, the New Mexico Bowl against the SMU Mustangs is upon us. And it feels a bit underwhelming, to be honest. There's so much happening with BOU football right now that has nothing to do with this game. So it kind of feels like an afterthought. But alas, here we are. Cleon, what are you looking forward to about this bowl game?
0: Uh, I know this is going to sound boring, but I, I think I just want a good game. Uh, I'm really not expecting that much, Lauren. I don't know. I mean, that, that sounds really bad, but I, I, I just want a good game. W- whether BYU wins or loses to me right now is immaterial. Of course, i I'd like to see BYU win. Um, the other side of me just says I just want to see a good game, and I hope that everything turns out okay. I I mean, we we've heard a lot that we're expecting a shootout because both these teams have— Uh, Been able to score a lot of points this season, but they're also going to be missing players. So (laughs) it'll probably be something like 24 17 or 17 10. I don't know what it's going to be. I just want a good game. I mean, I wouldn't mind if we saw Cade Finnegan in this game. You know, I just want to see positive progress for the guys who are going to play next season. That's it. That's all all I expect from this game coming up this Saturday.
1: It's interesting because we really don't know who we're going to see. And I'm. The opposite of you. I don't want a good game. I don't want a blowout. Even though, uh, as history has proven itself, that's probably not going to happen. I am also looking forward to, Cleon, to watching Chris Brooks and Puka Nakua play one more time. I wish Jaron Hall was playing. I guess there's still a slight chance, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I have zero expectations for this game beyond that. BYU most likely will have a brand-new quarterback playing, like you said. A bit of a thrown-together defense because there are so many injuries And then Kalani and Gennaro Guilford are holding down the fort as far as coaching goes on the defensive side. Since Jay Hill and Kelly Papinga are going to be staying around Provo, helping with signing day and getting recruits as they should be. So I'm looking forward to watching the Cougars play one more game this season. I'm just looking forward to playing, watching my team play one more game. What I'm about to watch though, and experience is anyone's guess. Can't, but uh, you, you uh, you as always, like I'm for the best. Right?
0: You, you kind of sound like a Rob. there. One day more. Okay, we're not going to sing this. One but, day more. But something one like day. that. It's like, hey, I get to watch one more game, and maybe I'll see something dynamic or fun or something like that. that That's me. I'm just Ooh. like, I, I just want a good game. I know you want to blow out. I want a good game. I just want to see something positive from the Cougars going into the offseason. I guess that's me.
1: Agreed, agreed. I would like to be pleasantly surprised. The question is Cleon, will the bowl game options get better once BYU gets into the big 12? If you're really good, obviously you can end up in a New York six bowl. And the next up is the Alamo bowl and the Cheez It's bowl in Orlando, which really aren't bad options. But if you're one of the last teams taken, you could end up in the armed forces bowl, Texas bowl or Liberty bowl. And most of these bowl games are against other power five teams, which is really nice. But as anything else, the lower you go, you could play against Conference USA or the American Conference, but I actually don't think are bad options. All right, Cleon, call your shot. Will BYU be in a bowl game next year or not?
0: I am gonna say I'm gonna say yes. Right now. Right now, I'm gonna say yes. They'll be in a bowl game next year. I think they go six and six. You know, they're gonna start the season out. I think they're gonna start the season out two and oh. So you only need to win four of your yeah. next ten games after that. So I think they can go Whew. six and six. That would put them probably in a lower-tier bowl, kind of like what we were talking about, maybe against a Conference USA team or someone from the American Conference. But I think they get six wins. I think they get into a lower-tier bowl, and I think they're successful that way. If we're just looking at it from the... It, it, how was the first season in the Big 12 and they made it to a bowl game? I, I think I think they can do that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, and I hope you're right. BYU would have been middle of the pack in the Big 12 this year, and that's with a subpar defense but a Jaron Hall-led offense. So Hall most likely won't be with the Cougars next year, but I'm hoping for a seller transfer portal pickup at the quarterback spot for next year and a much better defense. It'll be Jay Hill's first year implementing his defensive mindset and schemes, plus some of BYU's defensive stars have flipped to Utah, as we know, and recruits are picking up other schools because of all the changes and an okay season from BYU. So bearing all that in mind, I think it's possible that BYU struggles this first season and just ekes by into bowl eligibility. But like you said, after they win those first two games, which are almost guaranteed that they're going to win, they just need four more wins. And I, I, I think they can do that. I'm really hoping for it. But also I think fans and all of us need to have some expectations that the Cougars may struggle and most likely will a little bit in this first season. And the first few seasons, honestly, but man, I hope I'm pleasantly surprised. Sometimes being realistic
0: is the worst, isn't it, Cleon? <laughs> no, I, I I totally understand. As you were talking about that, it made me think back to two thousand five, when during Bronco Mendenhall's first season, the Cougars started yeah. out one and four that season, and we thought, what what's going on? Is it all the same like it was under Gary Croton? And then BYU turned it around they ended up going i believe 6 and 5 the rest of the season and they ended up going to the Las Vegas Bowl. They lost the bowl game but they still ended up going to the Las Vegas Bowl. And and so i i think that's what you're hoping for. You're as a BYU fan, like you said, you have to be realistic about it and you're like, "Well, what are you hoping for?" I think that first season you're kind of hoping for I think they can make 500 and let's just get into another bowl game. And you would call that pretty successful in your first season. And you've got to remember there are changes coming about, just like with Broncos' first season. It was like there were changes, there was a new coach, but he turned a team that went five and seven or five and six, I think, his first year into a team that went six and five. It's like, well, big deal, one game. But then the very next season, BYU went 10 and two. So it's amazing what you can do. Just with one season. If you can just have something positive. Like, like I said, if you can have something positive from this season, going into next season, and the next season, just have a few more little positives here and there. Jay Hill starts recruiting, other guys start recruiting, and the next thing you know, maybe the following season you're eight and four or nine and three, or maybe you're just seven and five, but you're still seeing progress. I, I think that's kind of what you're hoping for. At least that's what I'm kind of hoping for. So I think that six and six is is it it can be doable in that first season of the Big 12.
1: Yeah, because when there's a new coach that comes in you have to wait for them to get their own guys. Even when it's a, a coordinator, they have to get their own guys in. They have to get all the current guys bought into the system, and that can take a year or two. So I think we need to be patient. But uh, I see I see a hopeful future for the Cougars. BYU will play in their 40th bowl game when they play SMU. It's the first bowl the first bowl game for BYU was in 1974. It was the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State, and the Cougars lost 16 to six. BYU lost their first full bowl, four bowl games, in fact, but their first bowl victory was in the 1980 Holiday Bowl, or as we know it, the Miracle Bowl. BYU won 46 to 45 against none other than SMU. BYU scored 21 points in the final 2:33 of the game to beat the Mustangs to win 46 to 45, including the final heave from Jim McMahon that landed in the arms of Clay Brown. As time expired.
0: Down by six now, three seconds left.
1: Third and ten at the SNU forty-one-yard line. McMahon all the way back in his own forty-six.
2: Throwing for the end zone. Receivers are there. Defenders are there.
1: The play that is etched in the minds of Cougar fans, whether they were alive or not. Cleon was alive. I was not. <laughs> Cleon, is that the single greatest game-changing play in BYU's bowl history, in your opinion?
0: First of all, thanks for bringing up my age again. Um, <laughs> yes, it clicks all the boxes of excitement. Last play of the game. Check. Wins the game. Check. Caps off an improbable comeback. Check. It It, it was just an awesome play. Uh, to see that uh I, I didn't get to I, I don't I didn't see it live you know on TV or I wasn't at Jack Murphy Stadium when the game happened against SMU I didn't see any of that but going back and looking at the that highlight it's been played over and over and over again and it mm-hmm. just it, it just it, it gives you all the feels I guess is what people say now uh you just yep. feel great about it and it's just like that is such an amazing play and yeah it, it is the single greatest game-changing play in, in bowl history for BYU. And on top of that, like what we talked about, it was BYU's first-ever bowl victory.
1: Yes, and I, I think you're right. All of us feel like we were there, whether we were alive or not, because we've watched that play happen so many times by the famous and infamous Jim McMahon. Let's talk about what play would be number two, Cleon.
0: Okay. Uh, here are some potential nominees. I'll name, uh, since you brought up my age, I'll name the older ones. Uh, <laughs> it. 1983, Steve won young, not one <laughs> Steve young catches Steve the one. Yeah, he is number one or he was number eight <laughs> or whatever you want to say. Steve young <laughs> caught the game winning touchdown pass in the 1983 holiday bowl against Missouri. And it, I, I don't remember seeing that one live either, but it's amazing to see him catch it on his fingers, like barely in his fingers. It uh, didn't
1: look pretty. That play was not a pretty play. But no, it worked.
0: No, it was not. But he caught it, and that was the game-winning catch. So just that was amazing. Uh, Robbie Bosco's game-winning TD to Kelly Smith to win uh, the Holiday Bowl in 1984 and also the National Championship game uh, against Mission, Michigan. Also very good. K.O. K.O. LeLouis 28-yard touchdown catch from Steve Sarkeesian in the 1997 Cotton Bowl to give the Cougars a 19-15 lead. There were still three minutes left to go in the game, but still amazing that BYU was able to make a comeback and to uh, take a lead late in the game. And then in that same game, uh, uh, let's go with the defensive play Omar Morgan's game winning interception in that 1997 uh, Cotton Bowl seal to seal the win. So those are four of the nominees. Let's uh, turn it back over to Lauren. <laughs> So
1: official, my goodness. Know, it's like but, you did uh, the news or something. I, it's either that or uh, I,
0: I wanted to be a game show host. It was one of the two.
1: Oh, yeah, that, that did sound much more like a game show host. That's right. All right, Laura. I'm going to hop on to uh, 2007 in my recent memory. Ethan Monomaleona blocks UCLA's game-winning field goal attempt in the Las Vegas Bowl. I remember that very well. That was awesome. 2011 Armed Forces, Armed Forces Bowl versus Tulsa Riley Nielsen's two-yard TD pass to Cody Hoffman, when we thought he was going to spike it, do you remember that? But instead, it was the winning score.
0: 18 they seconds. Clock it.
2: He'll fake the clock. Throw to the end zone, touchdown! Cody Hoffman,
0: with 11 seconds remaining.
1: And then in the 2012 Poinsettia Bowl, I remember this one the most. Kyle Van Nooyst trips San Diego State quarterback to recover the ball in the end zone to give BYU the 10-6 lead, first lead of the game, and then the Cougars end up winning 23-6. And then 2016, Kainakua seals the Poinsettia Bowl victory with an interception of none other than Josh Allen and the Cowboys. So, Cleon, what do you think of all those? Which one is number
0: two? Ooh, this one's a tough one for me. Uh if I wanted to go with the unexpected, like I can't believe that they did this or that the play actually worked, I'm going to go with Riley Nelson's two-yard TD pass to Cody Hoffman when everyone thought they were going to spike the ball. I, I Seriously, everyone except probably the players on the field. And I think some of the coaches thought they were going to spike the ball too, but they go for it <laughs> and they score a touchdown with, uh, I, I believe it was less than 10 seconds left in the game. So... For the unexpected, I go with that. If I want to go with nerve wracking, I'll go with Ethan Manamaleuna's block, um, or maybe or, or maybe Omar Morgan's interception in the Cotton Bowl. I'd probably go with Ethan Manamaleuna's block just because it was just like I can't believe BYU's played this well mm-hmm. and they're going to lose it on on a field goal, and uh-huh. and then all of a sudden Manamaleuna blocks it and BYU preserves the win. So I that one's a good one too. If you want something epic to walk, watch, I'll go with Steve Young's game-winning touchdown grab. But I, if I, if I want to go with something close to what we've already established of it's checking all the boxes, I'm probably going to still go with Riley Nelson's, hey, I'm going to spike the ball. Whoops, I'm not. I'm going to throw a two-yard touchdown pass to Cody Hoffman, and everyone's just standing around going, wait, what just happened?
1: Yep. You can't say anything about Riley Nelson except that he is just a gutsy, gutsy player. He was – he was fun to watch. You didn't always know what you were gonna get, but man, he he definitely had a lot of courage, and I loved I loved watching him. We didn't mention Cleon the 2014 bench-clearing bowl against Memphis. Um, for all of you, <laughs>
2: I, I did throw that as, a, that
1: as a joke nominee.
0: Yeah. I was like, "Hey, what do you yeah, think yeah, about yeah. this, Lauren?" And I'm just like, "I'm not expecting." I was
1: actually there. Were I you was actually there at the Miami Bowl? I was um it was really interesting not sure what happened there was that that whole game was just so chippy back and forth
0: that, But yes we won't go there that has we to won't be go there that has to be one of the low lights i before you give yours <laughs> i i will have to say that has to be one of the low lights where it was just like wait what yeah what what just wait what happened here so yeah, that was
1: maybe the low late uh low light of the bowl game era yeah for byu football for my personal memory bank I got to go with the Kyle Van Noy show against San Diego state in 2012. BYU was down three to six heading into the fourth quarter until Kyle Van Noy sacked the QB causing a fumble and he fell on it in the end zone for the lead. I remember that. And in the same quarter, Kyle Van Noy had a pick six to end the game. Van Noy was named the defensive MVP after finishing with two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, mind you a forced fumble and fumble recovery, one interception, a block punt, three and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks and eight total tackles. He just took over that game. He just took it over. And I know we're talking about one play, but that one specific play where he causes a fumble from the quarterback and then dives on it in the end zone that completely changed the entire game. And then he just took over for the rest of the game. That's when I knew that Kyle Van Noy was destined to play at the next level. He just, I. It was James Lark as quarterback. James was a backup at the time. He wasn't playing very well in that game. BYU's offense was really struggling. And you could just see it in Kyle Van Noy's eyes. He's like, all right, I'm taking this into my own hands. And he did. It was
0: awesome. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I, I do remember that game.
1: Not only is football happening, but also men's basketball against none other than the University of Utah. Coming up, former BYU men's basketball head coach Steve Cleveland joins us to talk all things blue and red. It's rival time up next on Cougar Tailgate. Back to Cougar Tailgate. I'm Lauren McLean, alongside Cleon Wall, and joining us now is former BYU head basketball coach from 1997 to 2005, Steve Cleveland. Coach, thank you so much for coming on with us today.
2: I'm glad to be here,
1: Coach. You were at Fresno Community College before coming to BYU. What did you know about the BYU Utah rivalry before you started coaching the Cougars?
2: You know, uh, not. I mean, I knew there was a rivalry, obviously. I had not really spent much time in Utah. Didn't really have any connections there. Uh, I, I was uh, good friends with Roger Reed. In fact, I had come up uh, two or three years before I got the job, and we spent some time together uh, about it, possibly even working with him. And so I got a little sense and a feel for it. That's probably my first time. That was probably 1994, and I was on campus and met a lot of good folks. And, uh, yeah, I, I probably got a better feel for it then. I worked some camps there a couple times when I was a high school coach. Uh, but for the most part, I, I wasn't that familiar. Certainly didn't understand until after I got the job. But uh, I, I followed Utah like I followed BYU. They always had great teams, always in the tournament. And uh, But I don't think I had any uh, even close to an understanding of what, what it meant and uh, how it would impact my life.
0: After you got the job here at BYU, how much did you hear from alumni, students, fans just in general about, hey we really need to beat utah
2: you know it, it was a unique time because i, I mean it's pretty well documented uh, roger reed is a great coach and had a great career there but they had kind of a hiccup year and things went south a little bit and uh, all of a sudden i'm the new head basketball coach there and i think the first impact it had on me was that utah was in a really good place uh you know 97 98 <laughs> they, you know, we're, we're coming off a one-win season. I'm trying to rebuild a program, and Utah's obviously number seven in the country, gets to the Final Four, loses in the final to Kentucky. It was going to be really hard to recruit, and, and I knew that immediately and sensed the rivalry and the more people you talk to. And so, yeah, I, I can understand that the BYU fans were a little bit uh, uh, anxious to get this thing rekindled again. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we were in a really difficult, tough situation rebuilding at that time. And we didn't quite have the, the firepower that Utah had and the program that they had going at that particular time when we got there.
1: You mentioned that the Utes went to the Final Four. You were just rebuilding a program. Rick Majerus was the head coach. What do you remember about that very first game against Utah in your first season?
2: Well, it was, it was honestly, it was a huge mismatch. Uh, I mean, you're you're talking about three or four pros on that team. And it it wasn't that our guys didn't play hard and compete, but, you know, they were always going to be 20 to 25 points better than us. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. a fact. I mean, they were doing that to good teams. And and certainly we we brought a number of community college players in. And, you know, and, and the funny thing is that first year, as uh, we, we played them, uh, you know, for, for me, I, I, I don't think I was as emotionally involved at that point in time. We were just trying to, to rebuild a program and, and we couldn't let Utah, who at the time, and, and I'm sure it was painful for the fan base, but for us, it was more looking forward, looking down the road. So I, I wasn't, I, I knew what the fan base wanted, but the reality is that we were not in a position for a couple of years to even have an opportunity to do that. They, they were a top 10 team in the country, and we were rebuilding.
0: So you lost that first year a few times to Utah. Do, do you actually remember the first time you beat the Utes?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, listen, you're coaching this business. I mean, we, 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 we lost seven in a row to them. So in that first three years, they completely, you know, dominated us. But what happened in the third year is we finally started getting our guys, and, and that was probably the – one of the most impactful wins were at the Mountain West Conference tournament, and uh, you know we have been beaten by them seven times. And here we are, we're, we're playing them in the semifinals. And you know the, the great story here is Eric Nielsen was a young man that went on a mission when we first got here. He had Mount Montague, and for Eric to kind of go for 17 and I think nine, we beat BYU. I mean, we beat Utah that year, uh, 58-54. And, and it was a kind of a relief. And I'll, I'll tell you what happened is it, it, it let everybody know that BYU was kind of back. And then the, the following year, you know, we would beat them again and win the Mountain West Conference Tournament. We were in the Mountain West Conference regular season. And really, to be honest with you, that win was probably the most significant thing that happened in terms of us being able to go recruit Utah players again. Because I'm telling you, we had no chance. Utah State was really good. <laughs> BYU was good. Weber was good and we just it was hard to get into doors other than just to tell them what our vision was and when we were going forward once we won that game it was a game changer and we'd go to the tournament three times we you know we, we'd have some success against Utah but it, it, it was a long arduous haul uh, getting to that point but I will never forget that game and uh, you know Eric was uh, just such a sweet young man and a big part in terms of leadership to our team
1: you mentioned relief as one of the things you were feeling when you finally got to beat them. I can't imagine being a head coach uh for a major university and all the pressure that comes with that what what else did you feel after finally beating the after a a seven-year losing streak
2: you know I I can still remember going into the uh uh, the post-game area and I, I brought Eric with me and um, i would be honest with you, I think there were a really and it wasn't just BYU folks, it was, you know, BYU, Utah folks, because we were at the tournament and uh, I could feel a genuine uh, love from the media. Not, now, you don't always have that with me as a coach, but I could just feel like, <laughs> like OK, you got to feel good about this. And there was some kind of a piece that came about me and, and to hear Eric and then ask Eric. They, nobody knew who Eric Nielsen was. He'd been gone for two years in Russia on a mission he comes back and has a big game and uh, you know in fact it was kind of a cool thing because one of the media folks just said well where have you been and you know what, what he had a chance to kind of share some of his experiences on his mission and because nobody knew him and, and really we were pretty irrelevant to the world of you know that level of play for a couple years until that third year we winning that game and then we'd go on and get to the NIT that year, win a couple of games, the NIT lose at Notre Dame. But that was the point you can look back and say, okay, we kind of turned this thing. You know, BYU hasn't had many rebuilding times and usually it's sustaining and they've had a lot of success. Uh, but in this situation, it was a little bit unique, and yes, it was. Uh, I guess you typically say the thing that comes to me is you just kind of take a deep breath and exhale. <laughs> <You> go, okay, <laughs> let's
0: move forward. Was was that your most memorable game against Utah, or or do you have another one that you really love? Because I have one that I love when you, that you coached in, but I want to hear what your answer so, is.
2: It, it's probably the same one. So you know, we're we have kind of won uh, won the league and. Uh, we, we, we were in a situation in 2001, 2002 where uh, we had beaten beaten by Utah at home and we're, we're down, we're, we're literally down like 23 or 20, or I think it was 21, we were down at second half, but we, I think it got to about 23 or 24, we're down in the second half at home, we've got a good team, we lost some really good senior leadership with Terrell Holiday and Trent Whiting and McKellie Wesley and Matt Montague and Eric. we lost some of those kids, we're starting over. And the place was packed. Uh, I think it was during the Olympic time. And because I can remember afterwards going up to Salt Lake for some Olympic events and to see the two seniors, Matt Montague and Eric Nielsen, uh, hit huge shots late in that game. Dan Howard, who a lot of people aren't going to remember or know, uh, hit a big free throw and Mark Bigelow finished it. But that was probably the most rewarding win when we were down 20 plus and to come back and, and to see the fan base, and uh, it, it was a special night.
0: Yeah, th- and that's the same game that I was going to say, uh, Lauren, and and Coach Cleveland. I remember helping out with the broadcast of that game, and when Eric Nielsen hit the shot to take the lead, it, I think it was Eric Nielsen. But yes, it was. Yeah, it, it, just, it was amazing to me that, that, you, that your team was able to do that.
1: It's incredible to me that the rivalry games are some of the most memorable just for everybody involved, uh, fans alike. So as a coach, you mentioned how big the rivalry game plays into recruiting in state and how important that is because of that, how do you prepare your teams for this game year in and year out? Is it different than any other game?
2: Yeah, it is because number one, you know, and we didn't have, I mean, there were times that when I was coaching there, we had a number of Utah kids on the, on the, on the roster. And there was other times where, you know, maybe, maybe a third or a half of them were and half weren't, but I think in preparing for that, I think I probably made this mistake, you know, early on. We, we had some a whole lot of different experiences throughout this process. And I think the one that made the most sense is that let's just basically stay with the process. That we don't have to do anything extra. We didn't have to give a big pep talk <laughs> before the game. They understood. They clearly understood. That may not have been true the first year or two when we were struggling, but it became apparent that This was a game on the calendar that everybody looked forward to as we, you know, Jeff Judkins was a part of our program. And uh, when Jeff was at Utah uh, during that, during our first few years, he actually contacted me and just felt like he needed to be in a different place. And uh, we ended up hiring Jeff. And, and so it, it was also Jeff, I think Jeff was, was great for us in the preparation. And, and I think that, uh, just having Juddy there and having an understanding of that mindset there that, um, you know, we didn't have to, like I said, we, we didn't have to have a serious pep talk here. It was about execution, staying with the game plan, don't, don't get out of it. And we, we were always planning. I, I never played a, a Utah team that wasn't a 20-win season time win and had good success. So beating Utah uh, early on was, was something that we needed to do to kind of become relevant again. But I think for me, throughout that process, I I didn't hang on to those losses very long.
1: Coach, thank you so much for coming on. We're here with former BYU head basketball coach, Steve Cleveland, coach from 97 to 2005. Coach, you were incredible and incredibly wise. And thank you again for taking the time with us today.
2: Thank you, guys. Love you. Love BYU. Take care.
1: All right. Thanks, Steve. Steve Cleveland is such a great guy. Favorite BYU versus Utah rivalry moment that you have witnessed, Cleon, which is it?
0: Um, one of my favorites is Yuli Child's dunk at Vivint Arena in 2018. That was that. That's a really cool moment. Uh, Eric Nielsen and the Cougars making that huge comeback that uh, Coach Cleveland talked about. That's one of mm-hmm. my favorite. That that's actually that would probably be my personal favorite. Just because, um, it it, it was just amazing to see uh, a team that I didn't think was going to beat Utah end up beating Utah and making this incredible comeback. And then of course there's the Jimmer at for 47 points in Salt Lake and. 2011. By the way, my least favorite: Nick Emery punching Brandon Taylor, which leads to Larry Kriskoviak <laughs> you know, buying out the game the yeah. following year. Led to a legislative audit. Ugh, boo! I hated all of that.
1: We mentioned the low lights of the bowl game. Here's the low lights
0: of the Utah rivalry in <laughs> Sorry, men's basketball. I, I had to bring it up. That was like the worst of the worst, having all that come down, where it was like one to the next to the next, and it's just like, can't we just play basketball?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. I don't. I definitely don't like that aspect of the rivalry. I love. I love the competitiveness. I love the banter. But then when it gets to that level, it's a bit too much for me. My favorite was one you mentioned, Jimmer's 47 points at the Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City in 2011. It was epic. I was a student reporter watching during the Jimmer era. Man, I feel so blessed that I was a student during the Jimmer era. It just was so much fun to cheer for men's basketball in those years. His half court shot right before halftime, he drills it And walks off like it ain't nothing. I remember watching him (laughs) and we interviewed him after. And I don't know if you have seen A Knight's Tale, but there's a part where he goes, do you want to touch him? Do you want to touch him? That's exactly how I felt with Jimmer Fruedette. Like this guy is untouchable. He is unbeatable. So much fun to watch. So that was definitely my number one. All right. And that does it for us today. Thanks again to Steve Cleveland for coming on the show with us. You can join the Cougar Tailgate wherever you get your podcasts on Apple TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or on BYUradio.org. And by the way, this is our last episode of the year. We're going to take a few weeks off, and our next episode is going to be the first week of January. Cougar Tailgate is a production of BYU Radio.